Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. I haven't recorded anything for almost a month. And the reason is we've recently entered into the coronavirus pandemic that now grips the world. And people are scared. And basically I had to bring my work. I work for an aerospace company. I had to bring all my work home. And so the uh, the computer equipment has taken up a lot of room on my desk. And frankly, I just didn't really have room to lay out the recording equipment that I use in order to continue my podcast. However, I decided things are getting are getting bad. People are getting scared and things need to be said. It is time for people to wake the heck up. Wake up. This is, I believe, God's gradual introduction into the final days in which things are going to get much worse. Don't believe what they tell you. Don't believe that this will pass. This specific aspect may pass, but we're entering into the final days. And I know that most people out there are scoffers and think, oh, this is another chicken little screaming the sky is falling. Well, guess what, people? This time it's true, and you better wake up. So I decided just to clear away some space on my small desk and go ahead and continue with the podcast. And the one I want to start with is the material on the TorahMessiah.org website in which I give my opinion as to the definition of Antichrist. Because that's a, a last day's thing, or at least that's what most people think, most Christians think. They think the Antichrist is some powerful individual who will arise in the last days and deceive many, blah, 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 etc., etc. Well, that's not true. And so I'm going to present my understanding of Antichrist. Now, the way I do this, on the website, there's Antichrist Part 1 and there's Antichrist Part 2. Part 1, which is 30 PDF pages, I mean, the written article is 30 pages long in PDF format. If I was to record that, that would be easily six, well, I would say five to seven parts at 30 minutes, give or take, each. And that would take quite a bit of time. And it actually is primarily a form of introductory material to bolster or support the Antichrist Part 2 document on the website, which is 18 pages. But it's in the Antichrist Part 2 document that I actually get into the, the true definition And I clarify the true meaning of Antichrist. Now, what I've decided to do is first record part two, because they actually can stand alone, to be honest. Because again, part one is introductory, explanatory information to help lead into what you will hear in this podcast which is the actual definition of Antichrist. But again, they can stand alone. So what I'll be doing in this audio material is I will label this Antichrist 2 Part 1. And then I will, when I record the Antichrist Part 1 material, I will label it Antichrist 1. 
So eventually, I will combine all of the Antichrist, Antichrist audios into a playlist, if you're listening on YouTube, of Antichrist. And the part one will come before the part two. However, in order to get the material out there, I wanted to first dive straight into the definition of Antichrist. So this will be Antichrist 2, part 1. Now, this is quite possibly the most explosive material that will make people hate me. Most Christians are going to reject this material straight out without even listening to it. But I am very firm in my belief in what I will present as being Antichrist. Very firm. And the facts support me. The scripture supports me. The only thing that doesn't support me is the anti-Torah idolatrous teachings of pagan Christianity. And yes, Christianity is paganism. And we're in the last days now, folks. So I am no longer going to hold back. I am not going to hold back. Every time I've written something or recorded something, I've tried to be subtle. I've tried, and, and I'm, people may think, what do you mean subtle? You sound very mean or very harsh or whatever. Believe me, folks, I've been holding back. I'm not going to hold back any longer. We do not have time. We do not have time to coddle and cuddle and snuggle with ignorant people who refuse to face the truth. It's The train is coming down the track. And it, I use the example of you see someone on the, on the track you love, and there's a train coming. Maybe they have their, their earphones on and are listening to loud music, and they don't hear you. And you're, you're, you're first... You ask them, and they see you, and you just say, oh, excuse me, could, could you please leave the train? And, and then they take their earphones off, and they listen to you, and could you please move because the train's coming? And they just stand and look at you and, and, and put the earphones back on. So then you talk a little louder, excuse me, excuse me, you get their attention. You need to get off the track. A train is coming. A train is coming. They put the earphones back on. And this goes on. At what point? As that train approaches and they're standing on the track, at what point will you finally run and knock them off the track? Because if you do not knock them off the track, they are going to die. That is the situation we now face. And so I'm going to knock you off the track. And if you don't like it, if you get mad at me, if you think I'm harsh, I don't care. Because I love you more than you hate me. I want you to, be, to see the truth. I want you to realize you have got to return to God. Christians, you've got to return to God. You've got to leave the paganism, leave the pagan Easter, the pagan Christ, Christmas, the pagan Halloweens, the pagan anti-Torah teachings of Christianity, and yes, the pagan idolatrous worship of a man as God. Yeshua, Jesus, is not God. You've got to stop your idolatry and return to God. If you don't like hearing that, I don't care. Tough. Deal with it. It's time to get off the track. The train is coming and you're going to be judged for your idolatry. You're going to be judged for your anti-Torah teachings that directly oppose the creator God. I'm fed up 
And so from here, henceforth, I'm not holding back. And it's starting with this Antichrist teaching, which I know most most Christians will despise me for revealing. I don't care. My, My devotion is to God. I recognize that it is God that brings eternal life. It is God that will give us salvation through Yeshua. It doesn't matter what you believe or I believe. If it's wrong, if it opposes God, it doesn't matter. God's will is always the supreme will, and it is what will determine your eternal destiny. Not what you think, but what God thinks. So here we go. Antichrist 2, Part 1. What is the Antichrist? This is what Christian leaders wish to remain hidden, even though it is in plain sight. The true understanding and definition of Antichrist has been out there, Antichrist has been out there for almost 2,000 years. Christian leaders do not want you to know what it really is. There is a clear definition of the Antichrist that Christianity seems to miss. It is easily revealed from the writings of the New Testament. Unfortunately, the fact that the word Antichrist is actually an untranslated Greek word contributes to the concealing of who and what Antichrist actually is. If it were translated, at least some of the confusion regarding this important term would be eliminated. Since the Antichrist is portrayed by Christianity in a way that generally aligns it with various over-dramatized and speculative end-time events and fulfillments of the New Testament book of Revelation— It may be a surprise to learn that the term Antichrist is found in only four verses within the first and second epistles of John. That's the only place you'll find the word Antichrist in the entire Bible. Antichrist is nowhere mentioned in Revelation or anywhere else within the Bible other than the epistles of the Apostle John. In addition, to wrongly apply revelation to the false concept of Antichrist, the man of lawlessness mentioned in Paul's second letter to Thessalonica is also sometimes used to support an incorrect understanding of Antichrist, as are other mysterious figures mentioned in Scripture. The common false understanding of Antichrist is a decoy. Let me state that again. The common multiple ideas out there floating around of Antichrist, they're all decoys. And I realize that for most people, it is an unintentional decoy. The mistake is caused by selectively choosing various passages of the Bible with which sensationalized and incorrect perceptions of Antichrist, are constructed. The fact that the term Antichrist is never mentioned within the context of most passages used to support their theories 
does not deter those who wrongly attribute such verses to their biased, inaccurate, and often wildly imaginative antichrist concepts. Unfortunately, the simple definition of antichrist is lost among various theories regarding the beast or the abomination of desolation or the man of lawlessness or the rapture for those foolish enough to accept the rapture nonsense or other suspenseful, thrilling, and nail-biting topics that focus upon the uncertainties of the future and that captures the interest and imagination of large numbers of naive people. One problem for those who cling to such erroneous theories, however, is that Antichrist is not a future event, at least not exclusively. Antichrist has been present for almost 2,000 years. In fact, Numerous antichrists have been present. The primary antichrist has grown in power over time and is now embraced by a large percentage of the world, just as is the mark of the beast, which will be a follow-up podcast that I will begin immediately after completing the antichrist podcast because it too needs to get out there in these final days. There is no actual physical person who has or does represent Antichrist mentioned within the New Testament. However, severe misrepresentation of a genuine physical person does represent the primary Antichrist. Here's the point, people. Antichrist, as defined by most Christians and counterfeit messianics, is a fictitious personality. It is a lie. What they define is a lie, which many people embrace as the truth. It is one of the deceptions about which Yeshua warned when he responded to the question from his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. It is one of numerous errors that the many false teachers who come in his name would use to mislead many people, and I discuss that in depth in Antichrist 1, in the part 1 as it is written on the TorahMessiah.org website. And it is the explanatory and preparational material that I originally used before introducing what you are now hearing. But again, I wanted to get this out there first. I wanted to get the Antichrist Part 2 out there first because it is where I define Antichrist. But if you listen to this first, please be sure and listen to Antichrist 1, which is Part 1 on the written, excuse me, on the website, the written material on the website, because it helps introduce and clarifies the sort of the underlying premise of why I define Antichrist as I do within what you are now hearing. So the Antichrist, as defined by Christianity and counterfeit messianism, is a blatant, bold-faced lie. I prefer to focus upon what we can know, upon what affects me and everyone else today and has all throughout the last 1,700 years, upon what I can directly confront and battle. 
each of those are possible with regard to the definition of Antichrist. We can know with certainty, with certainty, what Antichrist actually is. It has been hidden from us in plain sight for over 1,700 years while the many deceivers in Christianity, about whom Messiah warned us, have worked to hide it and to spread confusion and decoys and to misdirect the many sincere people towards being misled and towards accepting a false understanding of Antichrist. The deceivers within Christianity have been lying to you. They have led you to believe in an Antichrist that does not exist and will not exist while they themselves promote the Antichrist. And I will prove that later. Yes, Christianity promotes Antichrist. Forget the decoys. Let's go straight to the Bible instead. Beginning with the passage from the first epistle of John, I hope to assist in revealing to you the definition and identity of Antichrist. I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and I'll be reading from the King James Version. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Yeshua Messiah is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Yeshua Messiah is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Did you note that? Even now it is already in the world. That is John writing that. 2,000 years ago, the Antichrist was already present then. Reading those same verses from the NET Bible, Again, 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Yeshua as the Christ, who has come in the flesh, is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Yeshua is not from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. I've actually heard some Christians stupidly promote the God-in-the-flesh error by modifying their quote of these verses into reading as follows. And this is what they suggest it actually should say. And, it, and this is what they suggest it means. Quote, Every spirit that confesseth that God is come in the flesh as Yeshua Messiah is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that God is come in the flesh as Yeshua Messiah is not of God, end quote. Friend, that is not what it says. Despite the wishes of those who believe and teach that Messiah is God. In fact, it doesn't even hint at such an idea. Nevertheless, some Christian leaders attempt to teach that it does say that. The wine of the great harlot's God-in-the-flesh intoxication is so strong that many Christians seem to sincerely interpret the verses I read as saying what I just quoted. A general error that finds its way into verses such as these, as well as the minds of most Christians, and counterfeit messianics, is the idea that 
Son of God, means God the Son. Nowhere in Scripture is the phrase God the Son found. God the Son is the invention of the Roman great harlots, later church creeds beginning as early as the 2nd century and being solidified in the 4th century. The God, God the Son, is an invention of the harlot of Rome. A clarifying definition. I've mentioned the term counterfeit messianic. Counterfeit messianics are those who falsely claim to teach biblical concepts from a Torah perspective. They advance, however, the God-in-the-flesh-Messiah doctrine and claim that it is supported from Torah, which it is not. They deceive people into thinking that they are Torah experts and therefore that their teachings are supported by Torah. In fact, a legitimate Torah interpretation absolutely does not support at all a God-in-the-flesh concept. I prove that often on the Torah Messiah website and in these podcasts. And among such proof is the discussion in which I present the topic of other gods, and it can be found on the YouTube or in the podcast as well as in written form. Counterfeit Messianics shamelessly feed from the breast of the pagan great harlot of Rome, the mother of modern Christianity and the enemy of God. It is possible that the Apostle John's intent in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 was to rebuke those who teach a God-in-the-flesh Messiah. At first glance, the verses do appear to possibly rebuke the notion that Yeshua was anything other than a 100% human being. The Greek word that is used in 1 John chapter, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and that is translated as flesh in the verses that I quoted earlier, that I stated earlier, is sarks, and the corresponding Hebrew word is basar. Both words, that is, both the Greek and the Hebrew equivalent of that word that's translated as flesh in the epistle of John, both those words mean pure flesh and blood, fully human. It does not mean a human God that contemporary Christianity and counterfeit messianism promote. There is nothing in the original Greek or the equivalent Hebrew that implies anything more than a 100% human being with human flesh and blood. In fact, the Greek word can even be translated and is translated elsewhere as carnal or carnally minded. Contemporary Christian and counterfeit messianic leaders love to misquote and distort scripture to fit their pagan, idolatrous, God-in-the-flesh bias. If distortion is the game, then hey, let me play that game. Let, Let me play the distortion game. Okay, so playing that game, a more accurate example for distortion from 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 would be this. Every spirit that confesses that Yeshua the Messiah is a 100% flesh and blood human is of God. 
and every spirit that confesses not that Yeshua the Messiah is a 100% flesh and blood human is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it, that is the false doctrines of Messiah, is coming, and now it is already in the world. End quote. So let me play the game and distort Scripture as I just did. However, unlike the Christian and counterfeit Messianic leaders, I do not wish to play the distortion games by mis- misstating what is taught within the Bible and forcing the text to conform to my own opinions, as they do. Christianity is expert at it. They will strip verses from the context of Scripture and force them to fit their pagan, lawless doctrines. Therefore, despite the fact that a legitimate argument could be made in support of what I just quoted in my distortion, I will not join Christian leaders by indulging in deceptive verbal gymnastics, which they do as a standard mode of operation. We also see in the verses from the Epistle of John references to a spirit I will comment later on this spirit of Antichrist. Okay, untranslated words, the tools of the deceivers. Furthermore, as stated periodically during this study, there is a Greek word in the verses I just read that is left untranslated. It is a word found in your English Version Bible that the translators suspiciously and intentionally decided to not translate from Greek into English. And I believe it is for fear of what the literal meaning may cause some Christians to consider. Christianity has built an entire mini-theology and melodramatic end-time teaching around this Greek word, which they transferred into the English vocabulary. Part of this sensationalized, gone Hollywood scenario is the outlandishly unscriptural, ridiculously stupid rapture teaching. That Greek word is antichristos, which is rendered in its untranslated form in English as antichrist. Whenever you come across words that translators did not translate, such as Antichrist, pay close attention. Those are the very words on which you should place particular scrutiny. When you look up the translation of such words, actually, you may find that the word means something traditional Christianity leaders would prefer that you not discover. You may find that when you translate the words, they do not mean what Christian leaders tell you they mean. The Greek word anti, Strong's number 473, is often used within the New Testament. And of course, anti is part of antichrist, right? Antichristos. So anti is a Greek word. And it's often used in the New Testament, either as a prepositional phrase within a sentence or combined with another word as a prefix or suffix. It is also at times 
somewhat of a basic underlying word for other words. Antichristos, or Antichrist, is an example of it being used as a prefix. Each time it is translated, unless it is contained within a name or location. The only time where anti is not translated is within the word antichrist. Let me state that again. Now now listen to this. This may sound like a small thing, but it makes you wonder, why is this? I mean, even I was stunned to discover how blatant is the deception practiced by New Testament translators as well as by Christian leaders. This represents, represent, it, it exemplifies an overt and unapologetic example of deceit in the long list of deceit that exists within contemporary Christian teachings. So let me state that again. The only word, the only word in the New Testament other than a name, other than a name of someone, where the Greek, and of course in a name, you don't translate it, you present the name, right? So the only word in the New Testament, other than a name, where the Greek term anti is left untranslated is the word antichrist. So one must ask, why is that? Why was anti intentionally left untranslated instead of being translated like every other word in which the Greek term anti is found. Why is that? It is very easily translated, as I will demonstrate later. But it wasn't translated in the term antichrist. It was left untranslated. Well, why wasn't it translated? Now, someone may say, well, because Antichrist is a name. No, it's not. Antichrist is not the name of someone. Antichrist is the description of something. It's not a name. Even if Christianity was correct and some superhuman charismatic guy was to show up someday and be their Antichrist, his name wouldn't be Antichrist. I mean... <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, so some guy rises up and my name is Mr. Antichrist. Uh, uh, excuse me, I don't think their Antichrist would do that. It's not a name, people. The term Antichrist is a description. Translators engage in deception by refusing to translate the word, or perhaps they simply bow to the powerful pressure of tradition. Their intent, that is the intent of the translators, is to purposely leave the term Antichrist in a state of perpetual ambiguity. They want it to be confusing. They do not want people to consider the truth that is revealed by simply translating the word. Instead, they want there to be a vagueness or uncertainty so that the simple, clear meaning will be missed. They want to maintain and feed the deception that exists with regard to the commonly accepted imagery and false understanding of Antichrist. It's imaginary, it's false. Their understanding, their sensationalized 
ridiculous nonsense in their understanding of Antichrist that they use to deceive millions upon millions of sincere Christians, it's false. It's imaginary. It's a bogus lie. It is odd, it's truly odd, that the word Antichrist was left untranslated since it is very easily rendered. It's very easily translated into an English equivalent. This is similar to the scenario of the Greek word baptizo, which is another untranslated Greek word that was transferred into English as baptize. I will use the example of baptizo to illustrate how error can be promoted and preserved through a failure to translate. Baptizo was left untranslated in order to conceal its actual indisputable meaning of immersion or to fully submerge. That's what the term baptizo means. This was done, that is, the failure to translate was done to obscure the meaning of the word. Therefore, to promote the intentional baptism or christening error of sprinkling or pouring, an error which was and still is practiced by the Roman harlot church and some of her daughters, in other words, in order to perpetuate that error, they didn't translate the word. They didn't translate baptizo into baptized. Or excuse me, they did not translate the word baptizo. They left it as baptized because if you actually translated it, everywhere in your New Testament where you see the term baptize, it would say to fully submerge, to immerse. And the Roman church doesn't want to do that because it would prove them to be the liars they are. It would prove them to be the deceivers they are. So they didn't translate the word. And they simply defined it separately as sprinkling or pouring, even though that is not what the word means. Unfortunately, like so many other clear words of Scripture, Christians are led astray by their leaders. Thus, despite the unambiguous meaning of baptize as being to fully immerse or to submerge, Many Christian organizations continue to practice the incorrect custom of sprinkling or pouring instead of fully submerging. In other words, baptize is a word left untranslated to purposely conceal a known error in order to allow that error to be practiced and perpetuated. So long as people were ignorant of what the word literally means, an incorrect method of baptizing could and has continued. Well, the word Antichrist was left untranslated for the exact same reasons. Christian leaders, particularly leaders beginning around the 4th century CE, 4th century of the Common Era, did not want the actual meaning of the word Antichrist to be understood. Their intent was to allow the continued promotion of error just as it was with the word baptize. 
they intentionally left the word untranslated so that they could distort it and add a completely flawed meaning to the word, a meaning that would have been clearly shown to be an error if they had simply translated the word. If they had translated Antichristos instead of bringing it into an English vocabulary and then adding a completely false definition to the word, if they had translated the word, people would know what Antichrist actually is. But by not translating the word, and by creating a false definition and understanding of the word, they deceive people. And they've been doing it for over 1,700 years. Sadly, as with most lies and propaganda, if you promote the lie long enough, it will eventually be accepted as truth. Politicians and others who lust for worldly gain depend upon this very simple, tried-and-true principle. They know that if a lie is told long enough, strongly enough, and circulated widely enough, that it will be eventually accepted as the truth, even though there may not be a shred of truth within it. Today in this world, we are swimming in a world infested with lies that are generally accepted as the truth. Nowhere is that truer, more true than within Christianity. Christianity, as it has existed since the 4th century, and to a lesser extent, counterfeit messianism, is largely built upon just such lies. Lies and false teachings that have been told for so long, so strongly, and circulated so widely that people accept them as truth without caring to verify their authenticity. If someone comes along with the actual truth, that person is, is judged to be spreading lies, since in the mind of the majority of Christians, the lie has become the truth and the truth has become the lie. Since Christianity has promoted error for approximately 1,700 years, most people assume Christian doctrines to be accurately portraying what the Bible teaches without ever verifying. People assume it to be correct and therefore place their eternal destiny in the hands of those who teach doctrines that they do not bother to even scrutinize. The term foolish does not even begin to describe the hazardous error of such misplaced trust. Baptize comes from the Hebrew word mikvah and definitely means to fully submerge in water. But since the incorrect method of sprinkling and pouring has been done for so many centuries, few people care what baptize really means. They don't really care what it means anymore. They have grown to accept the lie as the truth, just as they have with the countless other errors of Christianity, and likewise with Antichrist. They've learned to accept the lie of Antichrist, the ridiculous nonsensical theories. Its commonly accepted meaning, that is the meaning of Antichrist, has been promoted for so long that people accept it as truth when in fact it is a bold-faced, dangerous lie.
Now, at this point, I will end Antichrist 2, Part 1. And I will pick up in Part 2 with Antichrist, uncovering its true definition. So in Part 2, we will begin to delve into the actual definition of Antichrist. And I thank you for listening, and goodbye.